Chase Waters, 36 seconds into the overtime. Right. Oh, let's go. Tristan Robbins bangs away at it second time. Slows it behind for Taylor. It's in the net. Blades Uncut. Episode 22 of Blades Uncut presented by Great Western Brewing Company is here. My name is Mitch Bach. A special edition. You know, they're all special editions. Yes, they are. But, you know, this is a very special time of year, Les. And thank you for joining me once again as a co-host of this episode. Because we have a very special edition of Blades Uncut that we will be presenting to our listeners next week. Yeah, it is going to be a special one. It's going to be a Christmas show, uh, which will come out on Christmas Eve. It'll drop, and, uh, well, it's just a lot of our favorite clips, favorite guests, a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. If you have, if you remember some of the laughs from, that we've had over the course of 22 previous episodes, you're going to laugh out loud again with the Christmas episode because there are some incredibly funny stories involved in that. So <laughs> that's it's right. good stuff. We were just recording that and listening back on some of our favorite moments from yep. 2020 thus far, and we're excited to bring that to our listeners next Thursday. But let's focus on today, yes. this Thursday, episode mm. 22. Devin Setaguchi is our guest in this episode, of course, a former Blade, a three-year Blade, a yep. former first-round Bantam pick, mm-hmm. first-round San Jose Sharks pick yeah. as well from 2005. He had so many great stories to say. He's obviously gone through a lot of, of personal life yeah. nuances as well, but it sounds like he's doing some great things with where he is present day. I was going to say, the good news is he's in San Jose, owns a business, has been pretty inventive with that business because where he is in Santa Clara County is, that's where the San Francisco 49ers play and they can't even be there because of COVID restrictions, which are, according to him, the second toughest outside of Los Angeles in the entire United States. So he's been able to make his business go. He's been able to overcome his alcohol demons, and he talks very candidly about that in the course of our conversation. So that is really something, and uh, thank him for that. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really, really impressed with how he was able to handle all of that and then he has his remembrances of his playing days. Some of it's a little on the fuzzy side. You'll hear him say a couple of times, yeah, I can't, I can't remember that guy. Who was that yeah, coach? Yeah. Who was that player? There were a lot of players, it, though, that a, he did remember. He did remember <laughs> quite a few, though. A lot. He did remember quite a bit, yeah. and, it, and it was really good. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to report that Devin Setaguchi, because it's been well publicized what he went through, uh, but I'm happy to report that he seems to be doing pretty darn well, and yeah. hopefully we'll get him on again at some point in time and mm-hmm. get into, because there's a lot of stuff we could have gotten into with him. We talked to him. You know, get ready. It's it's going to be about almost close to an hour of talk with him, and it's and it's good. It, it's 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 enthralling. It's emotional. It's it's just the kind of well-rounded type of a, a, a conversation that you get with a young man who's finding his way day by day, and, and he's doing it, and that's the good news. A big thank you to Devin yes, for coming on absolutely. and being as candid as he was, and yep. some great words of encouragement for absolutely. anyone who might be going through a difficult time. Obviously, yep. COVID and this pandemic has presented a lot of adversity for all of us yep. in such a way. Absolutely. So, uh, again, a huge thank you to Devin. We'll have that interview coming up here momentarily. A couple of big notes, of course, tomorrow, uh, Friday, between 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock, we're encouraging all of our fans to pack their vehicles full of teddy bears. Come right. on out to the Sastel Center because it's the 2020 Teddy Bear Toss drive through presented by Sastel. We are hosting it. 
Yep, from 4 o'clock till 7 o'clock, like I said. And all you got to do, drive up through the main entrance into the Sastel Center. We're going to have a couple of inflatable rinks set up. Toss those bears into those rinks. Let's reenact the teddy bear toss like we know it, just in a slightly different setting. Now, let's let's let people know that the main entrance that you refer to is the one coming off Bill Hunter Avenue. That's the one that you come off of by the Husky Station and go past the hotel that's just outside the gates. That's the one you come in. You will go out at the other end, down by Thatcher Avenue mm-hmm. there, and, and getting out of, the, out of the, the area. But you come in, Bill Hunter Way, right towards the main doors of Sastel Center, and then you'll see the two mini rinks on either side. You've got your plush toys, teddy bears, whatever the case may be, bagged up, packed up nicely, toss them into the rink, continue on. In the meantime, there's going to be poke check, there's going to be Christmas music it's be a and lot decorations. Of it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. So... Touch it off, have some fun with the teddy bear toss tomorrow night. Yeah, right. The only problem is that we don't have Tristan Robbins there to score the goal. I told you. I you got to get him there just to put a ceremonial one, ceremonial into, the net one into the net and then let the first vehicle through. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> yeah, but it's going to be a lot of fun. We're excited for this. It's just from looking at the feedback on social media and the amount of support that we're getting. A lot of people are excited for this Good. and hopefully we'll generate. Quite a few early Christmas presents, all of which going into the hands of children associated with the Salvation Army. So we are right. proud to team up with the Salvation Army as well as Sastel, Blue Cross, Saskatchewan, and Winmar, Saskatoon, who will be sanitizing these bears, putting them all primmed and primed and proper to a very rigorous sanitization mm-hmm. process after tomorrow ends and delivering an early Christmas present to those who are needing a little bit of holiday cheer this holiday season. So again, that's the drive through teddy bear toss taking place at the Sastel Center Friday between 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock. Come on out. We're going to have a lot of fun. Absolutely. Episode of 22 of the Blades Uncut podcast is a presentation of Save On Foods. Let Save On Foods do the shopping for you. Shop online today at saveonfoods.com. We talk about how the pandemic is continuing and we're having a tough time getting through it and all the rest of that as we head into the Christmas season. Uh, it was announced back earlier this week that the Western Hockey League had an update with regards to their 2020-21 regular season start date. It's not going to be a 2020-21 season. It's essentially going to be a 2021 season. It was, mm-hmm. again, supposed to have started January the 8th. That was the fourth different start date that we've had. And now we have our fourth delay. Yeah. Except now the Western Hockey League is saying, you know what, due to all these public health restrictions in place throughout Western Canada and the states of Washington and Oregon, yeah, we're not going to be able to start January the 8th. So we're hopeful of starting up, but we don't have a date. So they're not giving a date right now. Commissioner Ron Robinson talking about, you know, let's make sure that we get those numbers down. Let's flatten mm-hmm. things down before we're able to. And, of course, a lot of the provinces, there are restrictions. For instance, in Saskatchewan, you can't do anything until January the 15th now. That's right. The international yeah. border isn't open until January the 21st. Not that I think that's going to matter because I'm pretty sure we're going to be staying within divisions. So nobody's going to mm-hmm. be traveling from Canada into the States and back and forth right. in this Western Hockey League season. Mm-hmm. But should we get it underway? But... The fact is, though, is that there's all these restrictions until such time as some yeah. of those can get, you know, lessened and, and lessened taken and off. Up. That's right. Then, then we can get going, and hopefully that'll allow us to get going shortly after January the 15th. Well, and I think it's also worth noting that we're we're all dealing with COVID oh, in yeah. our own way, and we all know the uncertainty and how it's changing daily and how it's unpredictable at times. And yeah. as much as we're trying to contain and control this virus from 
breaking out, yeah. we can only do so much. Oh, yeah. Numbers yeah. are numbers. That's right. Okay, so it's a day-by-day process, and the WHL just doesn't want to quite pull the trigger on declaring a date unless there is some feasible reason to actually start on that date. There you go. I'm hopeful that it's going to be sometime not too far in the future yep. after January 8th, but I know the WHL will be doing everything they can to uh, make sure that when that new target date is set, it will be uh, it'll be full steam ahead and it'll also be with the best interest and safety of fans and players and staff who are associated with the league. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to something else that's on the go, and that's coming yeah. up this weekend. That's big. Oh, big. Uh, the Hockey Harvest Lottery. The tickets are drawn. The ticket. One ticket. One ticket. Drawn Monday. That'll be the grand prize winner. The jackpot, what is it at now? $291,610. Okay. Half of that, over two hundred, or sorry, over 145000 yep. goes to the winning ticket holder. Yeah. The other 145000 Plus, gets split amongst the five Saskatchewan WHL teams. So if my math is any good, right now that's $29,000 per team towards their scholarship and or education funds, whatever you call them. It's the money that they end up paying out to players who are going to post-secondary institutions at an accredited post-secondary institution and pays for helps pay for their books, tuition, etc. You got it. That's exactly it. So, yeah. That's a big deal. You have until Sunday. We're doing this. This is dropping Thursday at 4 o'clock. Whenever you listen to it between Thursday at 4 o'clock and Sunday, if you haven't got your ticket, get on it. Get on it. Because it, it, yeah. it, it's done Sunday, and then the draw happens Monday. Or if you have your ticket, get a second ticket. You buy more. Get five tickets. Get ten well, tickets. Well, see, and there's the thing. <laughs> the, the more you buy, the better your deal is. Yeah. $20 for one. How about five for 50? That's $10 per. How about five hundred for a thousand bucks? That's two dollars per ticket. Five hundred tickets sounds a, pretty good, if you ask me. Got a spare grand hanging around? How <laughs> if you if you don't yourself, pool it. Find a bunch of friends. I assume you've got friends. You have to be socially distant. But of course, when you're buying tickets, it doesn't matter. As long as somebody has it and is able to somehow collect it off of you, you know, you know, e transfer a bunch of money to one person and let him go ahead, or him and her, him or mm-hmm. her, go ahead and Make the ticket purchase and buy your 500 yeah. tickets for 1000 bucks. Yeah. We've and had, you, we've and had, you win, yeah. you can split it, you know, five ways. Yeah. Like we just said, you know, $29,000. If you have five others, that's yeah, right. $29,000 right. isn't not too bad. shabby. There's a lot you can do with that. That'll pay for a few Christmas presents. But yeah. a huge thank you to anyone who has supported us so far. I know, uh, you know, we've said it a few times already this episode, COVID has been a struggle financially yep. for a lot of small businesses and WHL teams are certainly no exception. So, so helping us out, helping put money in the pockets of our alumni is equally just as satisfying while hopefully putting some money into your pocket too exactly. if you've got the winning ticket. Exactly. So that's, we've done through the, what, what's coming up here and there's a lot coming up it seems. Even though there's no hockey being played, you know, we've got the teddy bear toss this Friday. We've got the hockey harvest lottery coming up. That the draw is being made Monday. Christmas is coming up. We've got the Christmas special show we've touched on for Blades Uncut next week coming out on Christmas Eve. And then, of course, Christmas Day starts the World Junior Hockey Championships. Oh, yes. And isn't that something else? Oh. Right yeah. now, as we speak, and we're recording this on Wednesday, all 10 countries' teams are in Edmonton, in the bubble, quarantining. Nobody's been out yet. Everybody's been stuck in their hotel rooms since they arrived on Sunday. 
And once they are able to get out of their rooms, which is supposed to be a four or five day quarantine, depending on how who you listen to and who you talk to. Uh, but I believe it's Friday. Teams can start, okay, we've come through. We'll start testing. Make sure everybody's negative. No, fine. No, no problems with COVID-19. And then get on the ice and let's start getting ready for mm-hmm. the tournament itself starting Christmas Day. There's exhibition games, I believe, starting on Monday, the 21st. So I know some of, some of those will be broadcast Absolutely. as well. Absolutely, TSN. Yep. You're going to wear that TSN remote, I'll tell you that much, watching that. Watching well, there that. is plenty of reason for Blades fans to be oh, tuning yeah. into this year's World Juniors, and it stretches far beyond just number 77 for Team Canada. Yeah. Obviously, Kirby Doc is a focal point and will be for Team Canada this year. Also, he's, he's not wearing 77. What number is he wearing? Seven. That's his favorite number. Okay. That's why he, you know, because here in Saskatoon, the number seven, is retired and up in the rafters. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't wear seven. So he ended up wearing 77. 77. But he gets to wear seven for Team Canada at the World Juniors, and he's looking forward to that. I, Lucky I'm number seven. you that. Yeah. So he's poised to represent, uh, you know, nine WHL players, including Saskatoon product Connor Zeri. That's Canada's team, of course, with, as we mentioned before, Mitch Love, head coach of the Blades, Tyler Dietrich, soon to be, when we finally get playing, an assistant coach on the bench with the Blades, working both for Hockey Canada mm-hmm. and with Team Canada in assistant coaching capacities. And, of course, then it goes beyond Team Canada. There's a player on the Team Czech Republic from the Blades. That's right. Radic Kucherik has been turning some heads for the Czechs. He Now, I do want to put a slight asterisk mm-hmm. next to this, but I'm going to go out there and say that Radic Kucherik will make the world junior roster for the Czechs at this stage. Well, I'd be surprised right? if he didn't because That's he right. made, he was on it last year. Yeah. And the only reason I need to put an asterisk next to this right now is because the Czechs have announced their preliminary roster. Yes. Which is what Rada Kucherik made last year as well. Now, Kucherik never played in world junior preliminary or playoff play for the Czechs last year. Mm-hmm. So this year, I... I mean, I'd be shocked if he didn't actually make it, but it sounds like the Czech Republic team needs to relieve two or three more roster spots before they make their final announcement. But Kucherik and the rest of the Czech Republicans' staff and the players flew out from Czech Republic last weekend and are now in Edmonton. So they're going to go through their quarantine and make sure that they're all ready to go once the... Puck is dropping, and they're ready to start practicing and training, and and they're off. There you go. So hopefully Radic is there. And we yeah. look forward to seeing him. And, of course, that World Junior Championship starts Christmas Day, runs through January the 5th. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, trivia question time. Yep. Last week, we, of course, had Blades alumni Rhett Warner, who also obviously has a very spirited NHL career to his resume. Mm. Now... That's not all he has on his resume, no. by any means. No. Back in 2004, as a member with the Calgary Flames, Rhett traded out his hockey stick for a steering wheel. <laughs> he got in the cab of a truck as part of Paul Brand's music video for Convoy. You know that song. I do. <laughs> but Rhett wasn't the only member of the Flames to be featured in that video. Who was the other player to make it onto the big screen if you submitted the correct answer you could win a $25 gift card to the Frozen Pond Les? Mike Commodore because we talked about Mike Commodore <laughs> and we were hoping that when we asked Brett to tell funny stories about Mike Commodore he would mention that but he didn't but it was Mike Commodore that's right yeah 
who's just a wacky guy. Just a fun wacky guy. guy. Just, just follow him on Twitter. He's wacky. He's fun. Well, I know when we asked Rhett for a PG version of a story, <laughs> he had a tough on time. Tommy, he's like, yeah, you know, no, Commodore doesn't do PG. Nope, that's <laughs> so, right. But no, Mike Commodore is the correct answer, and I'd recommend checking out that music video too. Pretty good, mm-hmm. Paul Brandt, good old Canadian boy. Yes, yes. Well, the winner. From last week's trivia question, Ryan Penner. A big congratulations to Ryan. And thank you as well, Ryan, for saying, man, you guys just keep bringing the best as part of his answer. So, Ryan, you got a $25 gift card to the Frozen Pond waiting for you at our Saskatoon Blade store location in Midtown Plaza. Swing by, pick it up, and keep your ears locked and loaded for a new trivia question coming up right after our chat with Devin Setaguchi. And Mitch, here we go with a guest that uh, I'll tell you this right now about this young man. He probably had, in my time doing play-by-play of the Saskatoon Blades, the most dominant one-person uh, show showing in a playoff series that I have seen as a member of the Saskatoon Blades. Uh, he just absolutely tore up the Regina Pats in round one of the 2006 <laughs> playoffs, scored Seven goals and two assists for nine points in six games. Had two two two-goal games, four two-point games in the course of that series. And it wasn't long after that that the San Jose Sharks, who had drafted him in the first round the year previous, said, you know what? What are we waiting for? Let's get this guy signed. And they did. And that guy we're talking about is Devin Setaguchi, who played... Three seasons with the Blades, four in the Western Hockey League, uh, uh, first-round Bantam draft pick, uh, like I said, a first-round pick in the National Hockey League by the San Jose Sharks. Devin played several years in the National Hockey League, has gone through his own personal trials, and he's going to talk to us about that, which is really outstanding because I think there's some lessons to be involved there for a lot of people. But Devin Setaguchi joins us on the telephone from San Jose. You're still living there. Welcome to the Blades Uncut oh, yeah. Podcast, eh? Hey, guys, you can't get me out of California. <laughs> sure. Better better than Tabor, Alberta? Come on. You had a nice <laughs> nice deal there, as I recall. Yeah, I love Tabor. I love Canada, yeah. uh, for sure. It's um, But, yeah, my wife is from here. Her yeah. whole family's here. And we bought a house back in 2013 mm-hmm. here. So okay. it's, I've been here for a while. Okay, so you're, you're married with kids? I got two kids. Yeah, okay. I got a uh, uh, I got a three year old, and then I got a nine month old girl. Oh my! So oh my my three year old boy and a nine month old boy uh, girl, and uh, you know wow. life is good. I can't complain. With the exception, unfortunately, of the pandemic, the COVID nineteen thing, which means that uh, you're pretty much shut down. Tell me about your situation, where you are right now, and what that's like living through this. Yeah, we've been, uh, you know, obviously it happened in March 16th and in in, um, in the U.S. They shut us down uh, for a while. Um, and we've kind of been in this nine months of shutdowns. Uh, and so it's been, it's been tough. It's been, it's been uh, hard on the mental psyche, obviously. And it's just mm-hmm. been a really weird year. And obviously for us and my family, we've, we've been able to, you know, get a little bit closer to each other. We've been seeing a lot of each other. And, uh, you know, I can't, I can't say that it's been, uh, you know, completely bad for us. Um, you know, my wife, she works, she's a, she's a physician assistant in the medical world and she's been able to keep her job during this. And, uh, I, I actually opened a gym like right at the start of April mm-hmm. and I never got to open it. 
Oh. <laughs> uh, so it's been this whole uh, learning curve of post hockey career, and um, you know, it's just it's been a blessing, right? And a little bit of a curse and a headache at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's the F forty five training ground in Willow Glen East, correct? Yes, it yeah. is. We, you know, yeah. as a hockey player, when you finish your hockey career, you, you know, I'm sure you hear this a lot, but you don't know what to do. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, you know, for, for myself and for a lot of other professionals that played, like everything's laid out from you ever since you're 15, right? Like, uh, you got to be at the rink at this time. You're going to school here. You got to yeah. be here. You're on the bus at this time. Here's your food. Um, you know, and then even when you get up, up in the ranks, you get the NHL, everything's spoon fed, spoon, oh, sorry, spoon fed for you. Mm-hmm. And you're treated like royalty. And then all of a sudden it's just like done and you don't know what you're going to want to keep doing. Um, so I spent a couple years trying to figure out what that was. Yeah. And uh, first I thought I was going to be a stay-at-home dad, and man, did I have that one wrong. <laughs> that, was, uh, that, was, that was a tough one, you know, six month, with a six-month-old uh, little boy. And, yeah, I mean, from there I ended up just uh, figuring it out and getting it started, and it's been a full year of, uh, you know, a small business owner during this pandemic to uh, – it's been crazy. I've been learning quite a bit about, you know, um, about business, about life. And mm-hmm. it's, I'm just learning how to grow up and, and be an adult versus, you know, being a, a uh, hockey player that's kind of just uh, entitled and, and having his, his way when thing, with things. Right. So you're, you're with F45. Now, just around the corner from where I live, they opened up an F45 fitness center. Uh Tell me a little bit about it, and is it a place that a 61-year-old guy like me who's badly out of shape should probably go to? Absolutely. Um, you know, it, F, the F and F45 stands are functional. So functional meaning, like, the movements in the exercises are based off your average day movements. You know, if you drop something on the floor and you bend down and pick it up, that's, uh, that's a roaming deadlift um, using mm-hmm. your hamstrings. Or if you're grabbing something off the top shelf, you got to use your arms to reach the top. That's a shoulder press. So the, yeah. it, everything's kind of based off the movements that you do in your everyday life. Okay. And then the way they've set it up is it's uh, broken down into pods and stations and timing variations that you get to go at your own pace. And with, uh, you know, with the fitness world and these fitness classes, it's the, the program that they have set forth is amazing. But for me, um, and like any business, it's what you put into it, who the trainers are that are coaching it, and who is, who is there to motivate you is ultimately the, the best way to run it. But as far as uh, the workout itself, it's an amazing workout for anyone of any age. Um, and, uh, yeah, Les, I encourage you to go check it out then, that's for sure. Well, yeah. you've, you've almost sold me on no it. No reason so. for you not to. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so COVID is, it seems to be fairly serious down there right now, Devin. Yeah, uh, they shut down all businesses um, from March until about July 13th. Um, so I got to open my gym for one day on July 13th. Oh, boy. And then, then they shut it back down again. Mm. Um, but during this time, so I never got to open at the end of March, um, but then on July 13th, I got to open indoors for one day. But at the start of July, I just kind of said, um, screw it. And what I did is I created a an outdoor program, everything outdoor, outdoor, socially distanced, 
Um, everyone uses their own equipment, and that's how I started my gym. I started it in a parking lot, and to this day, we're still in a parking lot. Oh wow! <laughs> and I've transformed the par- I've transformed the parking lot into twenty four four square foot, twenty four hundred square feet of an outdoor tent, um, wow. and created this whole program based around social distancing. and And we've grown our gym to almost two hundred and fifty members during this time um, since the end of July. And so, well, a lot of businesses have you know, shut down and struggled. Um, for us, we've actually been profiting since the end of July. Um, and it's been, but it's been with no, we haven't been inside our gym. Wow. So it's wow. been a lot of hard work, a lot of creativity, a lot of drive. And I feel like I get that just from being an athlete in, in itself and, mm-hmm. and wanting to, you know, be the best at everything that I do. So, um, like I said, it's been a blessing and a curse, but it's also made me realize, you know, what, small businesses have to go to and it's just it also like just kills me to see what's happening in the united states right now with no government funding for these small businesses that are just getting killed wow look at you go i can't say that i'm 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 proud to pieces of you that's great that's what's well done on your part to be able to continue that that's ingenuity well thanks les I'm sure you weren't expecting to talk about that. No, I wasn't. <laughs> Thank but, you very much. No, that's outstanding. That, that's what I like to hear, though, is guys who've been through their hockey playing careers and then find success and have some passion for doing something else along the line rather than just wallowing around and waiting for things to kind of happen, and it doesn't. You know? Yeah. No, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, it's tough because I have, a lot, I have a couple other friends, and obviously we'll get into my background a little yeah. bit. But, you know, as, as someone who struggles with... with um, uh, anxiety and depression and al- alcoholism and all that during this time, it's just been a complete nightmare. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of athletes, like, that when they finish and if they go through some of like this, it's just, it's so tough to, to make it through. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't be there. You know, obviously my wife is a saint and she's, yes. you know, she's my yeah. rock and she holds me together. And yeah. my family is, uh, you know, my kids are the, the, my driving force and, um, it, it took me a while to get used to that. So it's, it's been, um, uh, I'm in a good place and it's, I'm, I'm learning things every day. I'm thrilled to pieces for you. You're getting a virtual hug from me right now. <laughs> I like it. There you go. <laughs> we'll get into a little bit more of your background here in a bit there, Seto. Uh, for now, let's go back to the early 2000s. Obviously a, a very big moment in your life when the Saskatoon Blades select you in the first round. The year was 2002. It was a fifth overall selection. How well do you remember that day? I remember it. It was it was amazing. I mean, things started to really turn for me in my hockey career when I decided to try and play junior A as a 15-year-old. And uh, Mm -hmm. I ended up making it and actually had a really good season. I had almost 20 goals and 40 points as a 15-year-old in the Alberta Junior League. So when I was drafted there, um, when I went there, I was kind of like, okay, if I have to do this for another four years to go to college, I think I'll be a little bit um, worn out from it. So when I was yeah. drafted to the Blades, I was kind of really excited um, because it, it, this, it, it doesn't become, I mean, it's a little bit surreal when it happens. Because yeah. Like everything's just kickstarted and boom, you're like, here you are now and you're starting again. And, yeah. Needless to say, that first year of that hockey career was kind of like, man, I think I might have messed up and picked the wrong choice. <laughs> um, that was a grueling year. But at the same time, for me, I got tons of ice time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we went, those, we went through the coaching change from Dix, and we went to uh, 
uh, and we went over to the next coach, and then I played a ton as a 16-year-old in, in the dub. I was playing almost 18 to 20 minutes a night, and I got my experience from there, and that really that really helped kickstart me into my, my next year. Yeah, I mean, uh, Devin, you, let's talk about that 16-year-old year a little bit. You mentioned the coaching change. Brent McEwen was thrilled to pieces, by the way, to be able to get you fifth overall in the Bantam draft, and the fact that you went and played Junior A as a 15-year-old, that was outstanding. They were all excited about that and had you come in as a 16-year-old. I remember going on our West Coast road trip to the U.S. Uh, early that next season, and in fact, that's when the coaching change happened, was at the end of that U.S. road trip. But going into the last game of that trip in Everett, I remember getting to the rink and taking the equipment off, and I remember you, you were actually, you, you were emotional. You were down because it had been so easy for you. You'd had so much success in your career and early in your 16-year-old year, there wasn't a lot of success for you personally. And, of course, the team wasn't having it. How difficult was that at the beginning for you? Can you put that into words for me? Yeah, I mean, you're obviously you're excited to come in and, and you know, and prove to the organization and to yourself that, um, you know, they made the correct decision and, you know, they picked you at this high, high traffic and you're always comparing yourself to other players in the league. So you're always comparing yourself to like Chris Duran and you're comparing yourself to Gilbert Brule and you're comparing yourself to the other guys that were ahead of you in the draft and Pricer and all those guys. And, you know, when you're looking around and you're seeing them flourish and doing well as that 16 year old. And meanwhile, you're you're having a tough time even getting on the ice and and not not getting scored on. It's it's obviously it plays tricks on a young on a young player's brain. But um, you know, again, it's just learning from those experiences. That was my first kind of experience of like, okay, this is some adversity. And I always remember talking to my dad about it. And um, you know, it was young. He's like, yeah, it's early. You know, you got. And that's the thing with the Western Hockey League. You got 72 games, so. Um, you can always turn it around and it, it was a tough year. It was a grueling process uh, to go through all that. But at the end, ultimately going into the next season, like I said, it, it, it was created a lot of confidence that, uh, you know, you can turn things around when, once you can and clear that brain. And then of course the next year is everything's changed. Lauren Mullican comes in as the GM and head coach and takes over the organization. And you had some good players on that team that only won seven games in your 16-year-old year. You had Mike Green, there's yourself, there's Ryan Keller, there's you know all these fellas that could play and play pretty darn well, and bang, all of a sudden you guys take off and you have a pretty darn good year the next year, and things are much better, right? Yeah, and it's not to say that the coaching was ever bad or coaching was, you know, the decisions are bad or, you know, no one... At some point, sometimes in, in, the, in the careers of players, they get complacent with where they're at. And, um, you know, take a look at the St. Louis Blues. Mike Yo was the coach. They fired him at Christmas. They're in last place in the, yep. in the whole NHL, and they come back and win the Stanley Cup with a new coach, yep. right? So um, we just we got a new coach, and it's almost kind of like, okay, here's something new. We're going to go from here, and everyone has to now prove to the new coach who they are, what they're doing, or what they um, – you know, where they want to play. And, uh, you know, Mooner came in, and I remember a lot of things. I learned a lot from, from Lauren uh, as a player. And, uh, yeah, we had a great year. We, we dealt, developed some chemistry on the, on the one line. I ended up playing, I think it was I played with Bades and, uh, and Barnsey for pretty much most of the season yep. um, that whole year. Joe Barnes and Aaron Bader, yes. That was, that was a good line. 
Right around that same time too, yeah. Devin, that was when you were gaining a little bit more national exposure. You were obviously playing U18s for Team Canada. Uh, you know, 2005, you're drafted into the NHL. How did you go about that level of attention? Yeah, I mean, at that time, um, it was, yeah, I mean, it, everything just happened so fast yeah. at that young age, and then it, it hits you, and boom, you're like, you're back here, and then, you know, then at the, you're at the World Junior Camp, and it's your dream to play in the World Juniors, and you get cut two years in a row, and it's, you think it's the end of the world, and meanwhile, it's just like, it gives you more motivation to hate the people that cut you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> You know, and then you're looking back at it, and all of a sudden you're in the National Hockey League, and the people that played on the World Junior Team are struggling in the East Coast somewhere. Like it's just everything is so quick, and um, you get to this level, and then obviously you get a level of confidence and a little bit of that cockiness. Um, And what happens is some people are able to take it as that confidence and continue with it and roll with it and just be a confident thing. And then some people mm-hmm. take it and, and then after a while that co- that confidence turns into arrogance and that arrogance then is what can kind of really hurt players um, and, and, and send them down a wrong path. And at the same time, you still had a job to do with the blades, you know, like yeah, you had a I mean, huge it, role. That's exactly. I mean, ultimately, I mean, everyone, wants to play on these teams and these and these world junior teams and they want to go to the U teams and they want to you know do everything they can outside of it but yeah we i mean we were in saskatoon we were in the we're we're hunting for first almost each year mm-hmm. um and then uh you know you get in the playoffs and that end of my 17 year old year and it was no that was my 18 year old year 17 year old year we played in the playoffs we lost to um Prince Albert. Was it Medicine Hat? No, Prince Albert it was. Oh, Prince Albert in the first round. Correct? That's right, yeah. Yeah, and we lost and it was was called was Jeremy Carlton still the captain of that team? He 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 was absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I remember going into that and I think I only had like one goal or something like that in that whole entire playoff series and and that was when Lorney he he kind of sat me down and he was like, "Listen, the best players play at this time." Mm-hmm. Right, it's mm-hmm. like the regular season means nothing, um, <clears throat> and that's where you learn from that. Yep. And then, um, you know, going into the next year, and then even even the next year that you guys can take us along there, but I can get into that in a second. It's yeah. just you learn all those little experiences along the way, where it's like, hey, everything you did to this point in your in your regular season was a great accomplishment. Yeah. But when it gets to the to playoffs and you don't rise up and you don't play, that's sometimes something the big teams look at and they're like, whoa, what happened here? It got a little bit too tough. People were playing a little bit more edge. They were starting to be a little bit more physical. And everyone else elevated their game. Where were you? Mm-hmm. Well, you looked after that part of things the next two years after that, one with Saskatoon, one with Prince George. Yeah, Devin, I want to go back, though, to you're from Tabor. You're on that uh, farm acreage up north of Tabor there on Highway 35 in Alberta. Uh, Not that far from Lethbridge. Tell me about your first game playing for the Blades against the Hurricanes. Did you ever go to Hurricanes games? And do you remember that first game ever against Lethbridge? I did. I did play against the Hurricanes. Uh, I did go to the Hurricanes games a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we... But again, like we were always so busy in hockey season that we never really made it up to watch the Hurricanes. But once it once it got drafted, um, I was already in the Alberta Junior. So 
Yeah. Um, my first game in Lethbridge, to be quite honest with you, and I'm, I'm not going to lie, I don't quite remember, but I know I did have a lot of family and friends that always came to the games when we played in Lethbridge. Right. Um, they were always there. And to my best of my knowledge, I don't think I ever played that great when I played in Lethbridge. <laughs> Too much I pressure. I, have the, I don't know if I have the stats on that or not. It's the same thing, like when I played in, in the NHL and we come to Calgary, like I don't think I scored a goal in the Flames in the, in the Dome. Wow. Ever. Okay. All right. <laughs> Maybe against but, the Hitman a few times. <laughs> Uh, yes, the Hitman, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Not, uh, not the Flames. For some reason, my building in Alberta was, was Edmonton. Go to Edmonton, yeah. I always scored in Edmonton. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for some reason, you know, close, to, close to home, I, I just never did really well. Okay. How about the building in PA, the Art Hauser Center? What was it like back then? Because we hear stories of the atmosphere and the energy that the fans bring up there. What really stands out to you when you look back yeah, you know, it, we had that rival, and um, mm-hmm. again, I, I remember that first playoff series because it was tough. It was a place we went into, and it was that hostile environment. And their team, their team, out battled and out played ours. Simple, plain and simple. I'm sure Les can remember it. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, we we lost every puck battle. We, you know, we were the ones taking penalties. We were the ones always fighting and clawing from behind, and. Yeah. Um, and then even in, in our building, you know, it was, it was something we got severely outplayed. Um, it's a tough place to play. And then the crush can as well. And in Moose Jaw, it was a tough place to play. Um, and playing against, you know, those guys and the Rome brothers and, uh, the, uh, what's yeah. his name? Is Elaine Manson? I can't remember the, his full name. And you, yeah. know, you got those big guys on the ice. And when you got little, when you got kids out there that are, are scared to do that, to go in the corner and win those battles, it's, tough to win yeah uh then you get traded from the blades to prince george and it's one of the most incredible deals in saskatoon blades history it's one where you end up going to pg and the cougars are a pretty darn good team and you have a really good 19 year old year uh do you remember when the blades came to pg that year to play what happened i do not Okay, how about when we ended up going for our first meal? The Blades went for our first meal to, uh, I believe it was Earl's in Prince George. Were you not there? I, did, I believe I was there. You were there. I was there at that. Yes. Yeah. You'd been probably been t- chatting with some of your old teammates, and uh, it, was, it was good to see them, I'm sure. Yeah, so, listen, I'm going to go back to this, because this is, a turn, this is a point in my career where I learned something. Um, okay. You know, and I had talked to, uh, I'd talked to Lauren and I'd talked to, uh, to the GM. Why, I, I'm blanking on his, why can't, why am I blanking on the GM's name at the time? Mc, um, in Prince George, Dallas Thompson? Tom, no, Tom, uh, no, uh, Brent McEwen. Yes, so Brent. Oh, right. So I'd, yeah. I'd talked to, and uh, they, then Lorne, Lorne came in and they're like, hey, because I went to NHL camp that year, and I had this patella injury with yeah. my knee. Um, I was ho- I was hoping to make it as an 18-year-old in the NHL, but I had this knee problem where I couldn't even skate on the ice. Oh. So um, I come back, and Lauren calls me. He goes, hey, look, is that all I'm going to be honest with you? Like, we're, you don't need to come to Saskatoon. We're going to trade you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, all right. Huh. <laughs> Not coming to Saskatoon. Uh, he's like, we want to trade you. We're going to try and trade you somewhere close to home so you can finish out your career and um, and go from there. And later did I find out, like, I was I was destined for Medicine Hat. 
that was the team I was going to. Wow. Um, I talked to Chris, I'd talked to Chris Russell. He's a good friend of mine. Yeah. And Rusty was like, "Hey, I was in uh, in uh, Desi's office, and you were almost here." And then um, I didn't get traded, and and it was Dorset. <laughs> this is from the great down the grapevine. Right. Dorset was the one. No, I don't want him on the team. Oh. I don't want him. Because really? me, Dor- me and Dorset, we we didn't really like each other. No one liked him. No one liked him <laughs> on the ice as well. <laughs> but Rusty's like, man, the deal was done. And then Dorse came in, and you know, they just, we just decided not to. And then I ended up in in Prince George, and I was like, huh, that is not close to home. <laughs> no, home, no, okay? no, that is nowhere near. Right? <laughs> he calls me. He calls me one morning. It's six in the morning. He's like, hey, Sato, we just traded you to Prince George. And my my initial reaction was like. Come on, Lorne, shut up. <laughs> You're no <joking>. kidding. <laughs> no. Well. Nope. I went to Prince George and away we went. And so it was uh it was a rocky start to again, that's just something where I'm like I, I my initial thought is I'm not going. Mm. Right? I had that yeah. entitlement of like, hey, I was Devin Sedaguchi. I'm not going to to frickin' Prince George to play for the <laughs> Cougars in the middle of the bush. Like, no. Yeah. And I remember calling my agent, being like, "This is bullcrap." Blah blah. blah. I called, you know. Anyways, fast forward, we end up going there, and I go through another one of these like coaching situations where we start the year, and um, our coach uh, at the time it was Van. Like, honestly, I can't remember. Yeah. Anyways, we fire him, and Dallas Thompson comes off the off the top ropes. He's the GM. He comes onto the bench, and everything just turns around, right? Mm. Um. He comes on, we, our team gets healthy, we start playing, and then we hire uh, Drew Shenick, and then it's Drew Shenick and, and Dallas Thompson on the bench, and Palmer's running the, the defense, and then I tell him I want to play defense with Ty Wishart on the power play, so then I'm playing on the power play on the defense. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a crazy year, right? Like, I was just kind of like I was playing 25 minutes as a forward. and yeah. Yeah, it was. It ended up being a great and fun experience, and a lot of good friends I made on that team. So, in a lot of ways, you had a lot of freedom to do what you wanted in Prince George. Absolutely, um, absolutely. We we de- I just kind of like I'll tell you a quick story. Is we go in the playoffs and we playing we were playing Kamloops and uh, Kamloops was we were like the eighth or seventh seed in the playoffs that year. Mm-hmm. Am I am I wrong? Yeah, I think you're right anyone, about that. Can, can anyone fact check that? We didn't have a great <laughs> year. So we were like yeah. thirty. We were like thirty games in the season, almost in last place, and um, then they came on. Anyways, we we limped in the playoffs. Kamloops is number two or number one. Or it was number two, and um, we swept them four games. Yeah, and then <laughs> Drew Shenick comes in after the after the, the fourth game, and we're in the Prince George locker room, and he goes. Uh, you know, gives us the post-game speech, and everyone's so excited, and we're hooting and hollering. And he goes, "Okay, you know, curfew tonight at you know a twelve o'clock." Mm-hmm. And I look, and he looks over at me, and I kind of give him like the finger shake, right? And he's like, "Okay, yeah, curfew tonight. You guys take care of yourself. It'll be two o'clock." And I give him the <laughs> finger shake. I give him the finger shake, and then he goes, "Settle, get it." He goes, "He goes, settle, get in my office." So I go in his office, and I'm like, "Hey, listen." He can't give the guys a curfew tonight. Like, we're the seven-place team. We just swept them. Like, you got to give us the night. So, anyways, like, <laughs> gives us the night. We, we end up going out. And I come, I come out, and I race the board, and I just put party at Fuller's house. No curfew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those were the little things. 
it was fun. Um, not that last year, Prince George. Yeah. I'm looking right now, fourth in the BC division. The record was 35, 31, 2, and 4. So definitely the underdog mentality yeah. around Prince George. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. When you made the transition to Prince George, like you'd said, you were telling your agent you know, you're just, it just wasn't happening. Did you know any other players who were playing for the Cougars at the time? I did. Well, I knew Wish. Yeah. Because um, Wish was a first-rounder. From San Jose to San Jose. Okay. He, uh, he, he was a first-round draft pick the, the year after me. Um, gotcha. And then I knew a, a couple of the other. I mean, we had a lot of guys. On, okay, we had, jeez. Uh, um, we had Nick Drozanovich. He was drafted. Yeah. We had Eric Hunter. He was a captain. He was drafted. We had, um, uh, mm-hmm. wow, well, I can't, I'm blanking on the on the big check guy. Uh, Vlad, Vladimir... Uh, uh, Mahalik. Mahalik, yes. yeah. He was drafted to Tampa. Dana, oh, why can't I think? See, this is how bad my memory is. Uh, Dana so Tyrell? Dana. Dana Tyrell, he's first round, first round draft pick to yeah. Tampa. Ty Wisher, first round draft pick to San Jose. I was a first round draft pick. Um, we had so many players. A lot of talented uh, we got, players. We got, we got Chris Duran at the trade block, right? He was drafted. And then uh, my line mate at the time was Jared Walker and Chris Durand. Uh, like, we had a, you know, we had a veteran squad. <laughs> yeah. I think on our team that year, we had, you know, obviously our 20 year olds, but then we had like nine or, or eight 19 year olds. Yeah. Or 19 year olds. So we were like the oldest team in the league. Right. Let, let's chat about the NHL draft because San Jose, it's well known at this point, San Jose traded up to get you. Did you have a feeling San Jose was going to draft for you? Listen, when I went to the NHL draft, it was weird because it was the year after the lockout. Um, so it was like, you're only going to the draft if you're you know, a prospect of the top 50. Otherwise, right. yep. you don't want to be that guy that's going to be there and not get drafted. And it's, But anyways, my agent calls. And he goes, uh, I think, he goes, I think, you know, we're, you're going to have to go to the draft. I think you're going to, you know, be in the first round, possibly the early second round. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of depressing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I was, I was like, yeah, okay. So we went and we go and um, we're at the draft. My family comes and we go out for dinner the night before our, our agent. We went out with, eh, with the guys that he had. He had Brian Lee and Jack Skilly and myself and, um, who else was there? Mark Stahl, he had mm-hmm. as well. Um, and then, so we all went to dinner. And then we're at the draft. Draft starts. And it's going slow. Like, right, the draft doesn't go fast. It no. goes slow as you sit there, yeah. right? Yep. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, uh, I look over at my dad. It's the, it's the, the seventh pick just finished. I'm like, man, I got to go to the bathroom. Oh, (laughs) right. So I'm like, do I go now or do I wait? And so I wait and I wait and I wait. I'm like, I'm I I have to go. And my dad's like, just just wait, go after this pick goes right. And then sure enough, it's like, yeah, San Jose selects Devin Setaguchi from the Saskatoon Boys. (laughs) And I was like, I could have been the the first guy in the history of the draft to go up and take a bath, be in the bathroom when they call my name. Right. Oh my goodness. It was uh, it was fun. I mean, from there we uh, we were in um, I think we were in Ottawa. That's where the draft was. And then after the draft, 
happened that night. We there's a bunch of us that were obviously uh, over 18, and so it was like me and Bobby Ryan and Chris and and, and Carrie Price and Ken McCardle and a couple other guys. We crossed the border over into Hall, Quebec, and we went to a bar there, and we didn't even get in the bar. <laughs> we barely got in the bar, and Carrie Price got thrown out. And no way! He wouldn't, take, he wouldn't take his hat off. It was oh. a Montreal Canadiens draft hat he had on. Oh wow! And they said you needed to take off this hat because you're not allowed hats in here. And Price was like, "I just got drafted to the Montreal Canadiens, and we're in Quebec." <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, why do I get to take my hat off? Anyway, so he didn't go in. We all ended up going in. We had a fun night. <laughs> Well, I'm looking at the names part of that draft year, and you listed off a few. That was obviously the draft where Sidney Crosby was selected first overall. Like you say, Bobby Ryan, Benoit Pouliot, Carey Price at fifth overall. Like The list kind of goes on. Mark Stahl was 12th overall. For you to be grouped in with that level of talent, what did it mean to you at the time back then? Or, or were you even thinking about that, Devin? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't thinking about it at the time again. Yeah. Like, it's just... It was everything happens quick. It's surreal, and then it ha- you know after the draft, it's when you know the draft is over, and then the real work begins, right? Yeah. And actually, after the draft, I um, I remember my first training camp in the NHL in San Jose, and walking in, seeing some of these guys, and being like, "Huh, this is uh, this is you know this is crazy, right?" Also, we didn't even know where San Jose was like when we got drafted. I'm like San Jose, like where is that? <laughs> We're like, yeah. Where is San Jose? Um, because obviously and we watched the Leafs, we watched the Flyers, we watched, you know, anything that was close to us, but they don't broadcast California games in, in Canada at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, no one really paid attention to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to that first training camp, and that first training camp, I had a hell of a training camp. And I remember going into Doug Wilson's office, and he's like, hey, you do that again next year, you're going to be playing here, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, it was... Uh, it was a surreal moment and it just kind of kicked started my career so that gave you the confidence then was what doug wilson told you that hey i'm close yeah absolutely because i came back and played for the blades that year and had you know i think it was close to 90 points and um had a really good year and um you know then that was the year we went into we played the pats that or no was past that that year yeah the pats Pats that that year year, yeah Yeah, it was a pass that year um, and then we lost to Medicine Hat right. in that second round. And again, that was when, when Lorne pulled me aside and he goes, what's going on? It's like, again, he's like, this is, um, you know, this is a big stage for you. Like, yeah. You're drafted now. Like, this is it. And I, I didn't end up having the greatest, the greatest uh, game that, or greatest series. Mm-hmm. And then it was over. That was the end of my Saskatoon Blades career, but it was always something that stuck with me. Yeah. And then if you look at it the next year in Prince George, I destroyed the playoffs, yeah. destroyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I had like 16 goals or 15 goals I, I, off the top of my head. And um, You led all playoffs there, scoring that year. Yep. Yeah, and I, and I didn't even play the final round. Yeah, right? that's like right. It, it, it was, um, and that's just something that stuck with me. And that's what Lorne taught me. He's like, big players come to play when it needs to in the playoffs. And, you know, I... I <laughs> It's, I, I took that with me, but then I, you know, some, at some point I kind of like look back at it and say, well, why couldn't I have been a big player during the whole year, every game <laughs> situation, right? Yeah. right? Um, I always like got the playoffs and I'm like, okay, now it's time for 
playoff seto. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, why couldn't it have been playoff seto during the regular season instead of like having your up and down games and stuff? And that was the difference between, you know, the guys that were the best guys, right? Sidney Crosby comes to play every single game. Yeah. McDavid comes to play all those guys, and they play even better in the playoffs. It's just that was my mentality. I wish I would have learned that a little bit earlier. Devin, as you've told us, you're now living in San Jose. So obviously your time with the Sharks was really special. You really enjoyed it there. And why wouldn't you enjoy it there when you're put on a line with Patrick Marlowe and Joe Thornton early in your career? That's pretty decent to be able to do that right off the hop. Yeah, you know, and, and Joe, is, Joe is still a good friend, and Patty's a, a friend as well. And, I, you know, we just had one of those teams in San Jose um, that – had an, it was just an amazing bunch of guys for four or five years. Yeah, it was it, it was incredible. I mean, I had I played with I played with Claude Lemieux. You know, <sighs> this guy made a comeback and came back. I played with yeah. Jeremy Roenick. Played with Rob Blake, um, Dan Boyle, Ryan Claude, Joe Pavelski, Logan Couture, Joe Thornton, Patrick uh, Patrick Marlowe, Milan Mahalik. Um, we yeah. had like this team. You know, Joe Pavelski. <laughs> like we had like all these guys. <laughs> On our team, you know, Mark Edward Vlasic, um, yep. Nabaka. We had a team for just uh, Danny Healy. We had all these guys for like four years. And it was just this bunch of a group of guys that was so close and so, um, you know, we did everything together. It was like on the road. One team went, one, 10 guys went to go eat sushi. The other 12 guys went to go eat uh, steak. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen anymore. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, as, you know, you got these clicky, you got clicky people that go here, three or four guys there, three or four guys there, or someone's on their own. We just had that team, and that's why I loved it here so much. It was um, a team, we, everyone, yeah. together. A team yep. away from the rink as well, and yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, playing with Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe, I mean, like these guys are still these guys are still playing less. Yeah, they are. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I talked to I talked to Jumbo the other day. He's in Switzerland, right? Yes. He's in Switzerland right now, and he's he's playing. He's gonna be ready to head to to uh, you know Leaf Camp when they're going. Yeah, but like you know, and then Patty, you know, Patty's gonna pat. He's gonna be the he's gonna be the number one most most games played hockey yep. player in the entire world. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna surpass Gordy Howe coming up this season. Yes. Oh, yeah. Do you have? And I guarantee you, you can put him on the ice against some of your blades this year, and he'll beat him in a goal line to goal line race. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Do you have any fun jumbo stories, Devin? Yo, so many. Yeah, but like one one that I'm going to tell, tell, and I'll tell you guys about it. The year I scored 30 goals in the, um, we went through this stretch in February where I didn't score a goal for 13 games. Okay, mm-hmm. and I'm playing with Jumbo and Patty. And Jumbo is, like, starting to get a little pissed at me, right? Because <laughs> not, like, lack of chances. Like, I, I'm I'm doing what I'm doing, and I'm getting eight shots a game. I'm hit, you know, I'm on the power play. I'm not scoring. Finally, it was, like, <clears throat> it was the 12th game, and I, I'm, i like, I go over, and I'm eating dinner at his house the night before, and he, he's, like, just relax. Like, you know, we got to get you off this. We gotta, so we go and play that game the next day. He goes behind the net. He sauces one right out front. I just... It was literally a wide open net, and I I fire it high over the bar. <laughs> and I come back to the bench, and he comes and, and sit down. And he's like, That's it. He's like, I'm done. He's like, I'm done. So you don't want to score? I'm passing the patty. No more. No more for you. We're just gonna pass the patty. He's like, You don't want to score? We're passing the patty, right? <laughs> and it, it, and, it, and there's a couple f bombs in there as well, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And so the game, the game ends, and I'm just like, damn it. Like, called my dad, and I'm like, this is, hey, Jumbo. Jumbo just called me out on the bench in front of everyone. And it's like, I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm like, anyway, so we go into the next game. He sets me up for a breakaway. I score at the beer, right? <laughs> yeah. And he comes flying in. He picks me up. He's shaking me. He's like, ah! I'm like, so excited. Like, nothing happened. He's like, see, I just needed to freaking turn the switch on you a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, this guy is, he's one of the best guys I've ever played with. And, yeah. uh, you know, like, I just, I pray this guy can just play as long as he can and, and win a cup. Like, I just, I just yeah. want him to win a cup, like, mm-hmm. so bad. And I know everyone does in the league. Um, He's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone has a story about Jumbo Joe, for sure. He's just one of a kind, and you, you can't be too surprised seeing that he's still playing the game. No, not at all. I mean, he, uh, he loves the game of hockey, and uh, it'd be interesting to see, see what he, you know, how long he can play for and if he can continue to keep doing it. And, you know, I just wish, that he, I wish the best that he still does. And luckily, he still has a house here, so I get to see him and play oh, some nice. golf with him. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Devin, I have to think that the high for you in your hockey career would be the 2011 playoffs. You score a pair of OT winners against Los Angeles and Detroit. You have a hat trick. I mean, that had to have been the high time for Devin Setaguchi playing in the National Hockey League, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those were, like, like those are moments that you can look back on and be like, not many people in their career get to have those moments. Um you know, and I think about it a lot, and I miss the game of hockey. Mm. Uh, but yeah, when I, I one thing is just like, again, it goes by so fast. I keep saying this; it just, it just seems like yesterday. That was the thing I was getting on. You know, it's it's Wednesday in in December, and it's right before Christmas. And we only got three more games till, till we're, or two more games till we're done Christmas, and then we can we can go and have a Christmas party, right, with the guys. It's, Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's definitely the, the highlight of the career there. I had, a, had so much fun that year in that playoff series. and um, Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the highs, though, unfortunately, have come lows for you. And you're gracious enough to tell us about it and talk to our, talk to our, our people that are listening about it. April 2015, <laughs> you give Dr. Brian Shaw, who's the co-founder of the NHL Substance Abuse Program, uh, a call Four days after that call, you go into rehab for alcohol addiction. At what point did you realize that, you know, I need some help here along the line? Well, yeah, I mean, at that point when I, when I was in, like, it, it was bad less. Like, I, yeah. I physically couldn't stop drinking. You know, I drank for, for almost, like, um, 90 days straight at that point. It was, I'd say it was close to 60 days straight. And, like, so I couldn't mm-hmm. stop. Like, physically, I was, I was getting sick when I tried to stop. Um, and I had some stomach ulcers and, you know, I was just severely depressed and overweight and I was in the minors and I had surgery, so I wasn't playing either. So that's when, you know, obviously like I had, I made the call because I just, I was defeated. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so that was, uh, that was definitely one of the low points, um, going in there and then coming out of it, uh, and taking that that summer to, to try to lose, I went to try, I ended up getting a training camp tryout in, in um, Toronto coming out of rehab that year, had to lose 34 pounds hmm. to go to, uh, to and even get into training camp. So I didn't hmm. even get to really train for hockey that summer. It was like, I got to train just to lose weight so that I weight didn't loss. look yeah. super bad there. <laughs> um, then I went to Switzerland 
and that was a great, you know, Jumbo, Jumbo hooked me up with, uh, with, uh, his team in Switzerland. We went there, me and my wife had an amazing time there. Um, and then we came back and then that's when my connection with Rob Blake, he's like, Hey, come to San Jose on a tryout or come to LA on a tryout. Um, man, that was fun. You know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> like uh, Daryl Sutter, like I can't say a bad word about this guy. Like I love this guy. He, you know, I remember like, <laughs> I'm fast forwarding for you guys, but mm. I remember mm-hmm. sitting in the sauna and, and, uh, he comes in there and he's just like, Hey, you want to make this team like, just shoot, get the best shot. Like he, I don't know if any of you guys ever met Daryl. <laughs> I have. Yep. That is oh, a yeah. great impersonation. That's a great impersonation. <laughs> of right? actually, yeah. And then he's like, uh, played against your old man. Like, just. <laughs> just play right <laughs> so like you know and then daryl's just so old school and i yes. wouldn't have made and i wouldn't have made that team without daryl and without yeah. without rob and you know it just at that point the league was changing and everything it was this weird year and um but yeah that was my blessing able to come back and get over my 500 games played in the nhl and you mm-hmm. know get to play in la and continue that career and um but the low point and this is where I want like for me, another low point was I got traded from San Jose to Minnesota. Right. A lot of people don't know this, but like I literally signed my, my contract extension. I had, you know, four seasons over 20 goals. I had a 30 goal season in there. I had playoff points. I had eight goals in the playoffs the year I resigned. I took a, I took a, a one year deal that fourth year, a bridge deal at 1.8 million and to set up my next contract. And so then I go in, I score my 20-something goals again, I have a really good playoff again, and then I, I, I go into Doug Wilson's office, and it's a couple days before the draft, and he goes, okay, take less money, stay in San Jose, play with Joe Thornton, play with all these guys, keep the team together, do us a, do us a favor, you know? Right. And I signed that three-year, $9 million contract, and I get traded two days later. Yeah. So was that, so, yeah, so that, that was, that was yeah. the, that was the defining moment of like, and I was, okay, look, and this, I'm not, I'm not calling Doug Wilson out on this no, because if no. you look at it at that point, my drinking had progressed severely. I was drinking and partying with the guys a lot. My, my numbers were still there, but he could kind of sense like it was going down. Right. Mm, like right. I wasn't going in the direction of where I needed to. He got, he got Brent Burns. Right? Yeah. yeah. Got Brent Burns out of this trade, okay? Um but in this situation where it is for players, like that is not a situation that is gonna just like bode well with anyone. Right. That's just resentment that is gonna stay there forever and it's gonna just can completely kill you. And that's what it did for me. You know, I, I always had that resentment. I always hated it. I always was like this F this guy, F that guy. And I used that as an excuse, like he did this, this happened to me, and then that sent me down the, the wrong hole. And it was just kind of like an F-U mentality. Right. And my drinking just took off from there to where I just physically couldn't happen anymore. So, and that, you know, mm-hmm. the youth goes away, and uh, that's, that was it. At what point did you realize it, it was a problem, that this is something that needs to change? Was, was it around April 2015? Was it be- before then? It was in Winnipeg. It was in Winnipeg. In Winnipeg. Uh, Winnipeg was, was kind of the year for me there. Like, I was still on that last year that, uh, you know, making three point whatever million that year. And then I, I didn't even work. You know, that was the thing. I would stop. After that 30-goal year, 
I stopped, you know, I, like I said, that when I went back in my story here, the confidence turns to the arrogance. Yeah. The arrogance was like, I didn't train as hard as I used to when I was just hungry and super, like I was the strongest kid when I was working out. I was the fastest because I just dedicated myself to doing that. And then after I got that success, I just slowly stopped doing little things time after time. And, um, that's when, um, I went to Winnipeg that year. I barely trained, you know, I drank my ass off that summer. And then when I got there, it was excuses after excuses. And, you know, and then at and the end of the season in Winnipeg, like, I mean, I was, you guys, I'm sure you guys have read the story, but like I was, I was drinking and using during that half second half of that season, like, you know, whenever I could. And then I didn't even get to finish the year. Um, I went out one one day for lunch. <laughs> next next thing I knew, it was four in the morning, and I was at some guy's house I didn't even know. Mm. But we're supposed to play mm. the Bruins the next day at two o'clock, oh, right? Yeah. Oh. And I made, I made a call to the, to the doc shot. I'm like, yeah, I'm not playing. I can't play. Like, I need you know. And then I just didn't finish the year, right? And mm. I was like, I'm not going to drink. Don't need the help yet. Just not going to drink. I'm just going to shut it off, clear my head. Yeah. Um, and I did really well for that. And then I went into Calgary. Um, you sign up one year, come back deal in Calgary, but I didn't stop drinking. And then that was, mm-hmm. you know, uh, fast forward and all of a sudden I'm back in, uh, back, I'm in rehab in, in that April of 2015 there. Well, you, you know, you signed with Calgary, but a lot of that year too was spent with the farm team at Irondack. So was that also part of the challenge? Well, no, cause my drinking in Calgary is what set me down there. Like, uh, you know, I, I trained, I trained that summer to get to Calgary, but I didn't quite, um, give myself that full, you know, I, I was still had that arrogance of who I was and like, right. um, I didn't give, give it an actual chance. And I was, I was an alcoholic. I just didn't have the skills to recover. And I would, I would say I wouldn't drink, but I wouldn't drink for a month. And then I'd go on like a four day bender and it's happened like four times in the, in that summer. But then when the season started, um, I just started to drink again. I wasn't playing and uh, making those excuses. And, and then I got sent to the minors. And that's when you know, I'm down there. I think I'm I'm king of the world. And yeah. um, that that wasn't obviously the case. So. Yeah. Settle, I'm going to tell you right now, I, I applaud you for being able to have the bravery to talk about this the way you have. It's outstanding that you can talk about this situation. The good news is, is that you've been sober for more than five years now, so that's worth congratulations. Your life is well. Good. I'm going to stop you on that. Okay, I'm stop you on that because that's that's another part of it. I mean, I, I've had I've had my struggles. I mean, I I, uh, I was sober in in Germany, and then I came back after the end of the season there. Um, so it was about two years in, and I relapsed. Um, oh, I, like I said, season was done, relapsed, and it, it's it's not like a a full on thing where I was out forever you know you're out for a couple of days and you're back in the program and you're back doing what you're doing um and then it happened it happened it happened again and then now I'm back on it again I mean it's it's a it's in struggle all the time yeah. it's just yeah um the you know where I'm at right now and where you know I, I just I, I can't imagine it, it, it you know obviously happening again it's just a because I've I've always in my life, my ego is always taking. This is what happens to an alcoholic and an addict. Their ego is what takes over, and they think they can do things on their own. And then what happens is that doesn't. That's not the case, and you end up relapsing. And so, you know, for me, I have a really strong program. I got a lot of people and a lot of friends around me um, and my family that really support me. And I'm back, and 
it's just it's going to be an average day thing. But I I take it every day, twenty four hours a day. Like, I'm yeah. not going to drink today. It's twenty four hours yeah. a day. And if I'm if I'm like that, and I'm I'm putting my family first, it's going to be a, a good thing for me. So good stuff. I can't really speak from a place of of addiction, Devin. But what I can say is that you need to have the right attitude, and it sounds like you have that. You are understanding that you know you need the right support systems in place that you've gone through the proper steps that you've admitted to having a problem before in the past and you know what you have to do if you want to get out of this and i think that alone is such an incredible step that you have to take so on coming off of what les said i applaud you for you know doing what you've done to get yourself to where you are now because it is a success well i appreciate it guys i appreciate you guys having me on here yeah. It's eleven fifty nine, and I have a a call at twelve. <laughs> now, funny to, I have a funny to end this because this call at twelve is to go over the books for my my fitness studio. All right. Now I All couldn't right. imagine myself trying to do QuickBooks for a year <laughs> and going through this the financials. If you want to come over in and go through these financials to see if they're done correctly, I'm sure there's going to be a couple problems in there. So this <laughs> this next call I got to hop on is pretty important. Uh, thanks for having me. Settle. You guys got my number. Check yeah. whenever you want. Prayers we'll with you. you we yeah. wish you all the best. Thank you so Thank much you so for much. the time, right. Devin. Yes, great mention here. Great uh, time with Devin Setaguchi. Uh, good story. Uh, heartwarming and lots of fun. A lot. You know, we, we touched on a lot of things with Devin Setaguchi. And uh, it takes us into the new trivia question, Mitch, where we talked about Devin Setaguchi being traded to Prince George. For Stephen Elliott and a first-round draft pick, um, now, actually, we didn't touch on this all that much, but this was one of the great trades that Lauren Mulliken pulled off. It involves trading away Devin Setaguchi, but it brought Stephen Elliott, who was a four-year blade and an excellent blade, but the greatest scoring defenseman in franchise history, Stephen Elliott, and then it brought another first-round draft pick, that came down the line a few years after that. And so we want to know in the trivia question is who was ultimately chosen with that first round draft pick that the Blades got from Prince George in the Devin Setaguchi trade that also brought Stefan Elliott. And when you realize who it was, it's Stefan Elliott and this guy for Setaguchi. Blades made out like bandits. Not that, you know, Setaguchi was a hell of a player for the Blades for three years, mm-hmm. but the Blades really made out well out of that trade. And Absolutely. kudos to Mooner for being able to pull it off. But who was that ex- that second player that was meant that was picked in the first round of the Bantam draft that one year? That is the answer that we are looking for. That's right. And if you know that answer, if you were able to find that answer, head to SaskatoonBlades.com, find the Blades Uncut podcast, and fill out the form as many times as you want. Yeah. Maybe. Hey, maybe. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think I've said that in the 24 episodes <laughs> that we've had so far. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, one of the numerous ways of submitting your answer. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Send us a direct message there with your answer or fire us an email at info at saskatoonblades.com. So again, Devin Setaguchi was traded to Prince George for Stefan Elliott as well as a first-round draft pick who was ultimately chosen yes. with that first round pick. Right. That's what we're looking for. All right. Blades Uncut podcast, a presentation of Tint Center Saskatoon, Saskatoon's premier window film provider at tintcenter.ca, or call them at 306-683-3456.
we teased this right off the top of this episode, but yes. I want to go back into it okay. because it was so much fun talking and reliving some of our favorite moments from 2020 yep. so far. Unbelievable. Our Christmas special next Thursday is going to be a lot of fun to listen to. It on. is going to be. I, I'm looking forward just to listening to it myself, even though I was talking on it. <laughs> big, and a big part of it along with you is like, you know, we, we, we had some great guests and they had some great stories and had some fun, some yucks, and uh, yep. we're going to have more yucks because we're going to get a chance to listen to them all over again. That's right. Which yep. is never a bad thing. Gets a little emotional sometimes, yeah. very informative, but yeah. for the most part, it's just fun, lighthearted stuff that will be dropping on Christmas Eve. Yeah, there's no special guest. No it's special just the guests. memories, yeah. but you're going to hear from people like Killer Kaminsky, Cam Moon, Evan Fiala, who was right here in this studio, Anton Kadobin, many, many more. Mm-hmm. I think we got something like 14, 15 different things. 14. That we got. Yeah. Whatever it, it is. Here, but yeah, it's uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun Absolutely. looking back on those. And again, that'll be dropping on Christmas Eve. That'll be our last show for 2020. Mm. So we're going to be ringing in the new year with a brand new guest and uh, something completely new for our fans as well. I don't know. I, I'm just talking. Oh, just okay. kidding. You, I don't know. It'll probably be the same old blades uncut that everyone No, knows. you never know. Keeps I, getting better and better. That's all I'm going to say is yeah. that progress continues to be made. It's been a blast so far in 2020. Yeah. Just some good content for our fans to listen to. And it's been a lot of fun for both of us to hash it up and yak it up and Absolutely. share some stories with some of our alumni. Yep. And of course, a lot of it is due to the fact we're able to do this because of our sponsors like VP Restaurant and Bar at 1403 Idlewild Drive. What's going on for Christmas? Me? What are you doing? Well, I mean, <laughs> COVID likes to change daily, so yes. I'm not entirely sure what my plans are. In a perfect world, I'd be heading back home to see mom, dad, the two brothers, and well, my brother and his girlfriend have a new dog, a dash hound, who's named Ozzy, the cutest little thing okay. ever. Uh, but I don't know, realistically, I'm not going to be the guy here to sit on this podcast and say I'm going to be hopping borders and going and spending a good old-fashioned <laughs> family Christmas out in Alberta. So, um, But we'll see. I'd like to get up to something, and even if it's a virtual celebration of some kind, and ring in the holidays with uh, you know a couple of drinks from our good friends from Great Western yes, Brewing Company, then absolutely. I'm okay with that as okay. well. Okay, well, yeah. and that's basically what's going to happen for yours truly. It'll be at home. Mm-hmm. It's going to be Verna and I, and that's it. Well, yeah. no, and, and our dog. And the dog. Jet, Jet, our dog, will keep us occupied and yeah. keep us entertained, as she always does. <laughs> I've heard stories about the dog. Our dog is yeah. phenomenal. She's, she's great. She's great. I've heard that you sometimes FaceTime with the dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've, <laughs> we've done that. We've done that. She's, she's, she's very much a poser. She's very yeah. much, she, she understands. She's smart. She knows what to do. She knows, she understands pretty well that when, you know, there's a phone there, look into it. Cause, look in, oh, you know, there's dad. There's dad, there's mom. mom yeah. Mom's going to, you know, take a picture, take a selfie and send it off to everybody. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what does the dog get for Christmas? Uh, you know what? I don't know. That's not okay. my department. That's, <laughs> That's not, not my department. department. Okay. I'm just happy to make sure that I've bought my wife the gift that she wants I think she wants. Let's put it that way. She's got, I've already done that. My shopping is done. And she's done. I think we're pretty much finished with that. So I think we're good. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have to do anything last minute. No, hey. Like run over to the frozen pond. Get run to the frozen pond. (laughs) Say hello. Maybe pick up a few stocking stuffers. Hey, well, that gives me a chance right now just to put a quick liner in on our 12 days of Christmas. Yes. It is happening at the the frozen pond every day for uh, the 12 days leading up. 
Uh, we have a new sale daily. I believe the sale today, and we're recording this on Wednesdays, 25% off all hats. So follow our social channels to see the latest and greatest in deals, a new deal every single day. But getting back into gifts. So our family does, and I'm going to ask you for a little bit of advice here, mm-hmm. okay? So our family has traditionally, over the over years, drawn names. There's okay. a lot of family who drew who draw names. Yeah. Done so that. me, so I've got my two brothers, Matt and Mac. Mom, dad, and then my brother Matt's girlfriend, Brittany, is also a part of the draw this year. Ah. Brittany drew my name. So the pressure's on. Yeah, absolutely. Good luck. Or- I'm sure Matt will help her out. Yeah. I'm easy. I'm anything sports related. But I drew my youngest brother, Mac. Mm-hmm. 21 years old, living at home, recently got a job. So I got a hey! applaud Mac for getting a job. Good for him. But what do you think a 21-year-old in today's day and age should get for Christmas? <laughs> Exactly. Panky, Panky's motioning, and I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, maybe Just, again I should thank our sponsors from Great there Western you, Brewing There Company. you go. Great. With that, there's the tie-in right there. Get him some Great Western product. He'll <laughs> love you for it. Absolutely. Not bad. There you go. Not bad. So it'll be a lot of fun either way. But, I, uh, yeah, if it's even if it's virtually handing over a present, uh, it's fun. Good stuff. Oh, uh, goodness. <laughs> but it's been a blast. Thank it you has. so much for tuning yes. in. Uh, obviously, you can listen to us on all of our social channels, and there's numerous ways, numerous platforms, Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, Google Play Podcasts, cjwwradio.com, and through the Saskatoon Blades website. Les, thank you very much for bringing me in. And, of course, to our producer, Panky, for hooking us up with another flawless episode. Not only did we produce and record episode 22 today but today's a big day in the booth for us we also recorded the entirety of the christmas special which will be launched next exactly so basically we didn't do it during the christmas special which we should have so we'll do it now mitch to you and your family merry christmas happy new year because this is going to be the christmas special is the last one of 2020 we will talk to you again on this podcast in 2021 and to all of you saskatoon blades fans whether you're fans of the Blades or you're fans of another team and you listen, thank you for doing so. We look forward to hearing from you in 2021. We look forward to bringing you more great Blades Uncut podcast material in 2021. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you folks as well. And, of course, to Panky and his family as well. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Folks, we'll see you in 2021. Well, thank you very much for that, Les. You're welcome. You know, Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Your wife and, of course the puppy who I'm sure will be spoiled this Christmas. She will. (laughs) But thank you very much to our listeners. You're who keep us going each and every single day. Happy holidays, and we hope you enjoy our Christmas special next Thursday. Absolutely.